0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your 2023 WWE SummerSlam Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just moments after WWE SummerSlam Concluded with a full breakdown of everything that happened on WWE's second biggest show of the year. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily. He was there live in Detroit, Michigan, at Ford Field for SummerSlam. At this point, the Silver King is getting us right into the show with a reminder off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defiance. So, please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King and Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us those five-star ratings on Apple. If you leave a five-star written review, we will read it for you live right here on the show. We also hope you go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff, but so in the future. You can vote in our pre- and post-show polls surrounding premium live events and pay-per-views. Of course, we posted both of those tonight for SummerSlam, and we will be discussing your reactions both after SummerSlam and your expectations going into SummerSlam at the end of this instant analysis as we go through our final grades for this show. Also, please remember... I happen to love the number... Five! And I hope you do as well, because for just five bucks a month or $50 for the year, you can become an official getting overhead at buymeacoffee.com slash Over. Not only do you get bonus audio and news posts every week, you also get to support the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And even if you don't wanna become an official getting overhead and a subscriber, you can tip us at any point, five, 10, 15, however many bucks you want, buymeacoffee.com slash Over. Now, this is normally the part of the incident analysis where the Silver King, and vintage. We pop a cold one and we get ready to break down the entire show. Two problems with that. Number one, it's exceedingly late because Chris did need to drive home from Ford Field and the Silver King hasn't been feeling that great today. So we are going to skip the cold beverages, the cold adult beverages on this particular episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, but those will come back most likely later this month for our next instant analysis show. With that said, allow me to finally welcome vintage Chris Vanini coming to us live from Detroit. Chris, you just walked in moments ago from SummerSlam. How are you feeling coming out of WWE's second biggest show of the year?
1: Feeling good. Had a good time. My brother and my dad kind of the first time and probably only time we'll do something like that. uh, Got into press conference at the end if anybody caught it i got the very last question in to triple h shouted out the getting over wrestling podcast i got a couple of tweets i hope everybody caught that or does catch that but uh yeah it's it's quite late here as we're starting to record this because it has been a long ass night. but i'm excited to get into it
0: well me too chris i've been sitting my ass here waiting for you to get home so we could do this show But let me just get right into it. I don't want to waste any more time. Let me start the way SummerSlam started. Look, it's 2023. WWE is still dragging out old-ass Kid Rock for major show intros. I get SummerSlam is in Detroit. I was not expecting Eminem up there necessarily doing the intro. There are plenty of other famous people from Detroit Rock City, star athletes that they could have used for this cold open. I'm guessing, Chris, that you saw it in the arena was there any reaction one way or another to it
1: we did see the video i i thought there was going to be some performance or something i'm glad it was just that but um mixed reaction a lot of cheers a lot of boos uh it was not some great big cheer i will say though i did really like that video i thought they Mm -hmm. did a really good job with it and my takeaway from it was Ball went to ball would have been a great theme for the show instead of Born to Be Wild. Uh, that 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 video actually got me a lot more pumped up than the Steppenwolf uh, theme that they went
0: with. I mean, I'm definitely done with Kid Rock from a musical perspective in 2023. But even beyond that, I mean, I, would it have been better than Born to Be Wild? I guess as a song, if I didn't have to like worry about anything else with him, like seeing him or his getting his old ass out there or whatever, maybe it would have been better. But I mean, again, Born to be Wild was was problematic because it was it's a motorcycle song, at least as far as I'm concerned. Maybe a Tabawa would have been better. I think it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Let me ask you quickly before we get into this instant analysis about the crowd in general. You've been to a lot of WWE and AEW shows recently. I haven't been to anything since before the pandemic. How did this crowd compare? Because I'll tell you, on TV, didn't come across as a Great crowd. Not to say it didn't have its moments. It did. But in totality, it did not seem like the normal, super hot WWE crowd that we've been getting recently.
1: It was an extremely weird crowd, and it's not all on the crowd. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I get there an hour before the show. Sixty percent of the people are already in their seats like it was pretty packed. Uh, people are yelling. Yeah, there was a lot of energy. Crowd was great through the first three or whatever matches it was, but then Shayna Baszler Ronda hits, mm-hmm. and the crowd died. Yeah, because there was it was. We'll talk about it, but it was bizarre, and that just really sucked the energy out for quite a long time. But and then in the second half of the show, the rings microphones were not working properly, mm. especially in that women's triple threat. The slams were very quiet. You couldn't even hear every every two count sometimes. Uh, so that was part of it. It was almost like we were watching a, 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 a match with the volume down very low. Like we couldn't hear it. And that made for a weird dynamic in the crowd. That kind of continued throughout the rest of the show. It looked like they tried to fix it one or two times. And then the main event just dragged on, man. And that oh. just didn't get the crowd up. So mixed bag. But I do think there were some strange, extenuating circumstances. I just wanted to to point that out, especially the microphone part for people who just watched it on TV. It was very strange because everything just sounded different the whole second half of the show.
0: See, that makes a lot of sense because watching from home, it seemed like it made sense that the crowd died during Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it didn't make sense that it continued to be. A down crowd from that point forward when there was still plenty of really good stuff that happened on the show. And it did get up, as far as I noticed, for the World Heavyweight Championship in a significant way. But then obviously, yes. perhaps the result wasn't what everyone wanted. But nevertheless, Chris, look, it is time for us to get into the WWE SummerSlam instant analysis. For anyone who might be new to the show, we're going to be breaking down every single match on the WWE SummerSlam card. We'll be telling you what happened. We're gonna give you analysis and grades, and we're also gonna discuss some things that happened on SmackDown leading into SummerSlam on Saturday night from Detroit. Let's not waste another second. Let's get right into the WWE SummerSlam instant analysis, and we're gonna start with the way SummerSlam ended. The undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Jey Uso, Tribal Combat, anything goes. Now, before we get to the match, a lot did happen on SmackDown. We'll get through it as quickly as we can. Paul Heyman was alone in the ring on SmackDown. He said tribal combat was the last thing Reigns wanted. He said it was all Jay's fault and Roman would end him without regret. Then we got a Heyman narrated package explaining the sacred beads really for the first time. Rikishi, Afa, and Sika all spoke about the beads. The elders did it in Samoan. I thought it was exceptional, from the narration to the storytelling to the incredible visuals. They had graphic art depicting all the Samoan wrestlers as warriors. Yes, they were AI-generated. I know people have gripes about that. I thought they looked sick. Heyman put over Roman, saying Jay could never measure up. Jay got a tremendous pop. He interrupted Heyman. He cut a basic but energetic promo. Solo Sokoa came down, cutting him off. Jay said Heyman is whispering in his ear, just like he used to do to Jay. Paul tried to reason with Solo, who demanded he leave. Distracted, Sokoa ate a super kick that bounced him outside. And I don't have much else to say about this other than they delivered exactly what we asked them to deliver and were bothered that they did not deliver it previously about tribal combat, about the beads, all that stuff. I thought they did a really good job of that Friday night.
1: Yes. and If you're not going to have Roman, you know, like, they did a pretty good job of that to get you ready for it. I did like the cartoons, whatever have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize it was AI generated. And so I kind of, I understand the backlash to that uh, for sure. Weirdly, the Roman one did was the one that looked least like yeah. all of them. The rest were uh, better than I the Roman even sure. one.
0: It's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was, I was like, wait, is that Roman? Okay. I guess this is the end of it. So I guess that was Roman. So yes, it was good to finally talk about the family and get all of that. I mm-hmm. don't understand again, why they didn't do that earlier. Um, but you know, la- some of it is really good. Surprised we only got it on Friday and not even on SummerSlam uh, a little bit as well. So, yeah, uh, but uh, I-, I did like it.
0: I agree, that was surprising. Also, on SmackDown, we had Jay and Solo in the main event. Jay ate spinning solo late without a cover. He ducked the Samoan spike and speared Sokoa, hitting the Uso splash for the win. Solo attacked it after the bell, but he ate a super kick with a chair and then four chair shots. This booking for me made no sense whatsoever. Why would Jay? want to fight his beast of a brother of all people 24 hours before the biggest match of his career. Why would Adam Pierce or whoever made this match have one of their main eventers for SummerSlam fight his brother 24 hours before the biggest match of his career? It did not track for me. I actually kind of hated it. The tribal combat segment and maybe an attack within that would have been more than enough for the go-home show.
1: Yes, very strange decision. Uh, I thought there might be something to it toward the end, and there just wasn't. And so, yeah, just Jay just straight up on. I was like, all right, that was very surprising to give that away on the go home. Um, And, you know, all right.
0: All right. Let's get to tribal combat at SummerSlam. Obviously, this was the main event of the evening. Jay wore all white with a wreath of flowers. He combated Reigns, who was wearing all black with the red beads. Jay turned his back to Roman during the entrance, and Reigns refused to hand the beats to the referee. He told Jay, if you beat me, I will adorn you with them personally. Jay did the Rock's right-hand sequence. Roman later beat him with a kendo stick and continuously overpowered him. Jay countered Superman Punch with a beating that splintered a kendo stick, but Roman took him out of the sky with a Superman Punch. Jay countered a spear with a roll-up, superkick, and Uso Splash for a false finish. Heyman pleaded as Jay beat Reigns with a chair and threw a pile of them into the ring. Roman avoided a superplex. He powerbombed Jay into the chairs. There was a table propped in one corner and another perpendicular at ringside. Jay picked Roman up over the ropes on his shoulders for a falling Samoan drop through the ringside table that was probably the best or second best spot of the entire match. Reigns sliced open his elbow here. Jay then beat Roman with a leather strap as they fought into the crowd with Sokoa attacking out of the crowd, for spinning solo through a table, Reigns directed him to first drag Jay back into the ring, then hit another spinning solo inside, and then deliver the Samoan Spike Spear combo. But when they tried to do that, Jay pulled Solo into Roman's path, and he ate a spear. Then Jay speared Roman for a two point nine nine false finish. Jay went wild on both of them with a chair until Sokoa blindsided him with a superkick. Roman then asked for Solo's help to like stand up, but he refused due to the spear. Jay caught a distracted Reigns with a spear through the barricade. And I would say at this point, everything's still going okay. Jay then escaped Spinning Solo and splashed Sokoa through the announce table as retribution for Jimmy. Back inside, Jay ran the ropes for another spear on Roman and hit another Uso splash when suddenly a man in a black hoodie pulled him out of the ring on the fall. And it was indeed Jimmy. Michael Cole went from selling the end of Roman's reign to losing his damn mind at Jimmy. Fans chanted, fuck you, Jimmy, as he super kicked Jay and left with Roman looking somewhat astonished that it actually happened. Distracted, Jay then ate a spear through the prop table with Roman covering him for the title retention in 37 minutes. Now look, this was executed well with multiple hope spots for Jay, making him look immensely strong, given he basically fought half of the match two-on-one, and only lost by his brother turning on him. The problem with the entire thing was that it was completely telegraphed and a little bit ridiculous, not only that nobody had Jay's back, but that Reigns cannot win anything without immense, absurd levels of help. He went from a dominant champion who got some general heel help in major matches that protected babyfaces. Think about the Drew McIntyre match, a clash at the castle. Sokoa came in at the end and that was pretty much all that Drew had to deal with to now being a guy who rarely defends the title number one and only wins when the entire deck is stacked against his opponent. This was probably the first time in the Bloodline run where a Reigns match was actually disappointing. Not the result. I expected Roman to win. I think most of us expected Roman to win. But did we really need to have Solo involved in a one-on-one tribal combat match for the title, by the way, of Tribal Chief for like 15 minutes or maybe more. I didn't count exactly. Let alone at all. He didn't need to be involved in it at all. Roman wouldn't let him attack Jay during rules of engagement. But the elders are okay with it going down this way. It made no sense. And even though I laid out the storyline on the Ultimate Preview of Jimmy turning on Jay, Reigns manipulating Jimmy for weeks through the TV, saying Jay took advantage of your absences to enrich himself. It does make sense in a storyline. It doesn't, though, play that Jimmy would be that easily gaslit and manipulated when he was the first one to turn against Roman when the bloodline imploded. I saw some people immediately throw out the concept of the bloodline jumping the shark. Nah, okay. That's one of those things that people say in the heat of the moment when they don't know what that phrase actually means, but want to criticize something and sound smart. But this particular match and story was indeed overbooked. It absolutely dragged too long and it was not satisfying in the way that other reigns matches have been despite those matches also having interference finishes. The problem here for me at least was actually Solo and not Jimmy. It was too much for too long. If we got a brief Sokoa interference, a long break without him, and then Jimmy came in at the end, it would have been more palatable. Even better, no Sokoa interference whatsoever, and Jimmy sneaking in at the very end. Roman really should not have needed that much help to beat Jay. Like, come on here. The match was not terrible, but it did not, for me, live up to the idea... Of tribal combat, nor the importance of Roman and Jay finally going head to head for the tribal chief crown after three years of storyline. It should have been far better. There wasn't even anything special about it. They could have worn paint, used special Samoan appropriate weapons, had family ringside, even if it's not Afa and Sika. It was just an ODQ match. How could they not have thought this through better? This is SummerSlam. This is not backlash or payback or anything else. It's freaking SummerSlam. So I went 3.25 stars and a B, and that's really the best I can do here, Chris.
1: I got to say, your recap of the match was a heck of a lot more exciting than the match itself.
0: Because my My recap took three minutes, and the match itself took 37.
1: This was such a letdown. I could not believe it. Um, From everything you said to not even having special gear or anything like that to start, and then it just played out like a two-on-one no DQ match for like at least half of the match. Jay J looked good by by fighting two people off the whole time, but there was never a moment where we thought he was going to win. You know, like we, we didn't get a, a, a really one hope spot where I thought for a second he might have a chance. Never got to that. Roman, I I, I don't know what was up. It, I, I don't know if something was going on, we don't know, but they were just sitting around for so long, just looking at each other, doing something, looking at each other, breathing heavily. It was so weird. They go out into the outside of the ring and we're, uh, there are no microphones, so we couldn't hear anything that's going on. Couldn't hear the table crash or anything like that. We were just all watching it on the screen. Um, Cause obviously we were, we, we had, we had gone down low on, on the floor for the main event. Couldn't see anything. And then it just, yeah. And then Jimmy comes out and there's a reaction to that. And a few Jimmy chant. And then just, that was it. Like Roman looked like a chump in this, like when it was just Jay and in, in Roman, Jay probably had the upper hand just going off of my live watch memory. Um, I, I said, coming in the ultimate preview, Roman had to finish this off clean and dominant in a way that re established him as the guy as he moves forward into whatever it is, even if he takes time off. And instead, we just got a boring ass no DQ match. I this was such a letdown, like you said. Every Roman match in this not everyone, but like so many Roman matches in this stretch have been so good, especially since Triple H took over. Like this ended, and I was like. Is that really it? We dragged this out. There was not a single memorable spot in that match. The only um, thing we're going to remember is is Jimmy, to me. I,
0: I would argue the Samoan drop was cool. I liked, I, the, the best spot of the match truly was Jay pulling Solo in the way for the spear. If Solo had just started interfering in the match in that point and had only been doing it for like two minutes and then Jay did that, and that knocked Solo out through the remainder of the match, it would have been fine. The biggest issue, I stand by this, was the fact that Sokoa, like, you know, was basically 50% of the match was a two on one handicap match. And right. the part that wasn't, that preceded it, was immensely slow. So you get a slow start, then you get a two on one handicap match. No one's doing anything about it. It's tribal combat, which is supposed to be this higher level type of plane where you know, the elders called for it and, you know, Jay wanted it and the beads are on the line and the title of tribal chief. And again, not only does it not look special, but it doesn't feel special because Solo Sokoa jumps in 50 minutes into the match and it's just like everything else that they've done. It, nothing set this up. This is SummerSlam. It's the main event of SummerSlam. I, I tweeted before the match, say what you want about the bloodline, say what you want about Roman's title reign. It is immensely cool that two cousins, Samoan cousins, Are main eventing, WWE's second biggest show of the year. And when that match started, I felt that. And I think most of the arena did too, the stadium. You can tell me. But it didn't take long, maybe 10 minutes in, where I was like, "Mm, this doesn't feel as special as I thought it was going to.
1: No, not not at all. Um, I I am interested... I will go back and watch this. I'm. It, you should. It has to have come across a lot differently on TV because, like, we don't have Michael Cole going crazy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Again, the microphones on the ring weren't great. All the stuff outside was kind of silent. So the crowd was just kind of murmuring. I'm sure that played a role in it. But just there was you could have caught like 10 minutes out of this match, man. Easily. Like, easily. Easily. Like, it was remarkable how little happened. Considering how long it went, I'm going to pull up the Wikipedia. There
0: there was—I told you—it was, I told you it was 30, it was 37 minutes. There was no reason for them to go into the crowd at all. They didn't need to no, go. That,
1: well, that, yeah. They did it, I guess, to bring Solo, but Solo didn't need to do that. Solo could have
0: come in anywhere. He didn't need to come into the crowd. Yeah. He could have happened anywhere. Yeah. You know, now, so like this was disappointing on its own. I think equally as disappointing, at least for me, is look, Roman Reigns, spoiler alert, is not booked right now, or not being promoted, I should say, for the next two shows, which I believe are Payback and Fastlane, which leads me to believe we are not going to see him at least on a premium live event again until WWE goes back to Saudi Arabia, presumably in November. That has not been announced either. Again, this man has defended the title one time since WrestleMania. Now, granted, he would main at I think, two other premium live events preceding this, Uh, tag team matches. Both were damn good. Okay, so let's not make it like they weren't using Reigns, but they haven't been establishing challengers for him. So now he has absolutely no clear challenger for his title. It seems like he's going to be gone, perhaps for two straight months. Maybe he makes a couple TV appearances, but is not on premium live events for a couple months, which means that Jay and Jimmy are now going to be asked to carry SmackDown while Reigns is away possibly until November, and on top of that, they have a very weak secondary champion and title in either Austin Theory or Santos Escobar. You know I love Escobar, but even if he wins the title, he's not Gunther, he's not Seth Rollins, he's not Finn Balor or anyone like that. So it's not that brother versus brother is uninteresting. It makes sense as the continuation of the story. It's just that we've spent four months with Reigns mostly not defending the title, We had this match, which was a disappointment, and we're about to enter another likely three-month stretch of him probably not defending it again, but also not being on TV that much, and we're asking Jay and Jimmy to fill in that spot. I think the crowd will react to them. I do not believe this storyline has jumped the shark, but I do think that SummerSlam was a down moment for a storyline. I mean, I think you need to realize this is, again, a three-year storyline. Not everything is gonna be perfect. And people are going crazy because they love to overreact in the moment and stuff. But, yeah, this was a huge disappointment on Saturday night. There's really no other way to put it.
1: It's one of the few times, especially over the past year, that this story felt like it took a a downturn. Right. And to your your point, like. If we want, so like trying to remember, just kind of off my head being there. Jimmy pulled Jay off while he was going to get the pin. But it wasn't like a moment where like we thought JJ was really about to win.
0: Uh, he hit. You know, like So no, because he had gotten a 2.99 earlier he- and he had just speared him and hit the Uso Splash. So, and Michael Cole on commentary, this is what you missed. Michael Cole is selling this. Roman's reign is about to end. I forgot the exact line he used. He's like, this is it. It's coming crashing down. It's over. Jay Uso is going to be the new tribal chief. One, two, and then he pulls him out and he goes, oh my, and I forgot again what Michael Cole said. He's like, what a piece of shit Jimmy is. Like he, he nailed him on it. So it, he, okay. it, it was sold properly on commentary. I will say that.
1: Okay. Yeah. That, that's good. That's good. I did just when, when it, when it happened also the angle I had, I could I couldn't right. quite see what happened as well, but like I, I wanted it to, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Cause what I wanted, if it was going to be Jimmy, it's gotta be, it has to really feel like Jimmy cost Jay the time. He did. And if that's how it was sold through the broadcast, yeah. Okay, it, it didn't feel like that live. Not that, only did
0: he, not only did he cost him the title. It was the, the storyline is Roman didn't know it was going to happen, so Roman was shocked that it and surprised that it happened. Jay obviously felt betrayed, and Jimmy was emotionless. That that's what we got on yeah. the screen that you probably didn't see. The other thing I'm going to say sure. is this. And, and, go, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. okay. So when they didn't put the title on Cody at WrestleMania 39. The contention that we had and and what some others had was, look, you can't judge that decision until it actually ends, until this entire thing ends. And whether that's at WrestleMania 40 or another time at this point, who the hell knows? But you can make your judgments along the way on, is it working or is it not working? And I would say up until SummerSlam, I had absolutely zero qualms with what they were doing. Uh, I disliked that Roman wasn't defending the title more regularly, but the story they were telling made it worthwhile. And the story they were telling with Cody made it worthwhile. It did make sense that Drew McIntyre didn't beat him because if that happened, if Drew had beaten him, then we would not have gotten the Sami Zayn storyline in moment. And it made sense that Sami Zayn didn't beat him because Sami got his moment in Montreal and then winning uh, the tag team titles with his best friend at WrestleMania. And it made sense or it could make sense that Cody Rhodes doesn't didn't get the moment, I'm sorry, at WrestleMania 39, because he can still get that moment at WrestleMania 40. And it made sense that Jay Uso did not beat Roman for the title because Jay got the first pinfall victory over Roman at, I believe, Money in the Bank. So you can explain all of these things. The problem now is there is nothing set up for reigns between now and WrestleMania. There are no clear challengers on SmackDown. And yes, you can elevate LA Knight, and you can elevate Bobby Lashley, and and there are people there, there are, but there's not direct storylines for this guy, and they've told this bloodline story so quickly in this four-month period of time between WrestleMania and SummerSlam that there's nowhere really for them to go with it other than Jay versus Jimmy, and I guess Solo possibly turns on Reigns at some point. And then they fight. And then we're still confined in the Samoan bloodline universe. No one else is doing anything on SmackDown. So that is my concern coming out of this. Again, it's it's too much solo in the match. Um, Jay and Jimmy now being asked to carry the show. Reigns seemingly about to disappear. And no other legitimate challengers appearing on the brand. It's a confluence of a lot of things that are problematic to do this booking in this Type of match,
1: you know what this means. If Roman is taking a couple months off or whatever, LA Knight's about to be the face of SmackDown. <laughs> if that's the case, absolutely possible. That yeah. That's going to happen. So we'll see. Your point. My, my last thing on this. I've said for a while, everything that has played out since WrestleMania could have played out almost the exact same way with Cody having won at WrestleMania. Yeah. And I think this just furthered that even more, especially if we were going to go into brother versus brother. Cody wins. Cody has a belt. He does the Brock thing. He gets a win. He loses to Brock maybe via DQ or something like that. So mm-hmm. he doesn't actually lose the title. Then they do the rubber match and Cody wins. Roman goes off. Does um, the the Usos? They, they they fight a little bit. They turn on him. You do this. Roman has this moment and then he takes a break. Play. And this match. And Everything by the way, could have
0: and this match is for the title of tribal chief rather than the actual championship. You're yes. right. This he, whole yeah. thing could he, have been done could have could to this played, point, yeah. to this point, they could have told this story without the title being involved. Yes.
1: And in triple H said in the press conference, uh, afterward that he thinks, you know, he knows I got a lot of heat for Cody not winning. Um, my dad among them, by the way, he's still very upset mm-hmm. about that. Uh, and, but Cody's still on the rise. I, I don't, I don't disagree that up until this point things have been fine, Yeah, but it still makes furthest my belief that it should have happened that way. One other thing, Paul Heyman in the, in the press conference, uh, it was supposed to be Roman and Heyman. And at the, at the last minute, Brian Saxon was told it was just Heyman. I don't know if Roman had to get stitched up because of his arm. Yeah. Or what happened? But, Possibly. Um, just, that was notable as well.
0: Yeah. Um, I will say to that point and then we'll move on because we do need to move on. Cody Rhodes and we'll talk about him in a moment. He's as hot as he ever has been, uh, as far as I'm concerned, same as he was at WrestleMania. Um, Everything about the bloodline story, even with Roman holding the title, was totally fine. 100% fine. Sure, it didn't need the title, but it was fine that he still had it, kind of up until tonight. And now we need to see what's going to transpire going forward. This is not the first time that there's been a down moment where we've said, hey, you know, maybe this isn't going to work out exactly the way we want. And then literally five days later, they hit us over the head, and we're like, "Oh shit, this that was great." You know what I mean? So they can save it. They they're capable enough, they're creative enough to do it. Um, I don't think it's a death knell for the entire storyline. I do think a lot of people are seriously overreacting here. But I do I'm glad that we spent some time pointing out the problems with this juncture of the storyline. And you know, again, just because you have one bad moment doesn't mean that everything that preceded it suddenly didn't exist previously. So let's see how they move forward from here, but at SummerSlam, not exactly what we wanted. All right, let's move to the World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Rollins defending against Finn Balor. This was the first part of a true triple main event, three major title matches in a row to end the show. Balor was on his own with seven written on his previously injured shoulder. Rollins trolled him by wearing the same top He had on when Balor beat him for the Universal title seven years ago, and he threw it in Finn's face before the bell. Balor dominated for a while, working Rollins' shoulder until Seth hit a Falcon Arrow and three Tope Suicidas, with Finn's mouth getting busted open. Balor ran him into the ring post and pulled him off the ring apron for an identical callback barricade bomb spot. Rollins powered out of an armbar with one arm, hit two buckle bombs plus a frog splash. Rollins got his rolling elbows, but Balor countered a stomp with a Casadora double stomp, and a shotgun dropkick. Rollins countered Coup de Gras with a superplex, but Balor countered the Falcon Arrow into a small package and came back with a surprise Pele kick. Balor hit another shotgun dropkick, but Rollins avoided Coup de Gras and hit a pedigree for a false finish. Then Damian Priest came down the ramp with the money in the bank briefcase as expected. Priest punched Rollins through the ropes with the referee looking elsewhere before Balor hit a pedigree for a 2.9 false finish. And at that point, Chris... I was like, oh shit, Seth is winning. But Priest then called Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio in from the crowd while pushing the briefcase into the ring. Balor said they aren't changing the plan and they're sticking with plan A. And then Rollins ran into Priest, but he rolled over Balor and hit the stomp for another 2.9 falls finish. I do not remember the last time someone kicked out of a stomp. Rollins went for a Phoenix splash, but instead decided to take out Priest and hit the stomp on Dom at ringside. Balor then caught him inside with a sling blade and shotgun dropkick, and then hit coup de gras for another false finish. The crowd Ugh. badly wanted it for Finn right there. I'm, I can only imagine what it was like being there, but even watching on TV, you could hear them deflate. They were ready for the title change. They were ready to cheer the heel. Balor then directed Priest to throw the briefcase in the ring and distract the referee, which he did. As Balor climbed over to it, Priest distracted the referee just like he was told. Rollins picked up himself from the corner, ran across the ring, stomped Balor into the briefcase for the 1-2-3 to retain the title in 19 minutes. Priest was disappointed shaking his head, and Balor gave Priest a death stare after the bell as Rollins kind of skated out of the ring. Now look, this is a case, as far as I'm concerned, of needing to separate personal disappointment and desired booking from unbiased analysis. To the former point, this was one false finish too many. Not having Balor win on the priest punch was the right call, but Balor absolutely should have won after hitting coup de grace. It was right there for not only him, but Judgment Day as an entity. It was to the point, like I just said, the crowd was audibly ready and excited for Balor to win. And they just didn't pull the trigger to instead tell the Balor pre-story. Massively disappointing for me as a booking decision. That said, the match and the finish I thought were outstanding. Tons of callbacks in the match, great sequences, top-tier wrestling, eons better than their Money in the Bank match. And the finishing sequence not only kept Balor strong in defeat, It made Rollins look smart and opportunistic with the stomp into the briefcase. I do have a bit more to say, but Chris, let me get you in here. I'm saying 4.5 stars and an A. It was the match of the night at the time it ended. And again, did not do the finish I wanted, even though, Chris, I was ready to crow about it on this podcast because I predicted precisely that Priest would come down with the briefcase, distract Rollins thinking he was going to cash it in, actually help Balor and Balor would win the title. We came excruciatingly close for me nailing that right here on the podcast.
1: It, it yes, it was, it was almost right. This was if I think from being at the show, when I think about the moments that I, I'm going to remember the final two false finishes of this match are them, the the uh, Finn kicking out of the stomp, mm-hmm. and Seth kicking out of the coup de gras. That is that that feeling mm-hmm. is everything you want out of pro wrestling. The moment you think something's going to happen and it goes the other way in that split second, Th- this was my match of the night. The crowd was got back up for this one. The mics were better for this one. And man, I I have not rewatched the final few minutes of that match, but I really want to. That was an unbelievable scene i i i wouldn't say like everybody wanted finn to win like people were cheering for finn to win but when seth won oh yeah there was a big there was a big cheer as well for sure like, that it, came across not a, yeah that came across it, it, definitely it's not like people were upset people were mostly just enthralled with the match um yes personal disappointment i wanted finn to win here this is why i Asked Finn, uh, asked Triple H about Finn Balor at the press conference and you wanted me to ask him about it. <laughs> I did. Um, but this was an amazing match. Both guys showed out like we, we thought they could. Um, man, that was wild. And I, I'm, I'm sad that Finn didn't get that moment.
0: Yeah, if, if I made it sound like the crowd was upset Rollins won, that was not at all the case. They popped huge and it came across on TV that they popped huge when Rollins did ultimately win. But the fact that they were that invested in Balor winning the title as a heel, clear heel, not a tweener, a heel that tells you all you need to know that that was the moment everyone kind of was hoping to get coming out of the match. And look,
1: because of the story, because, because of the because story. Of the like, story. It was, exactly. The way it was laid out. was like this dude, seven, it was SummerSlam that he won the universal title seven years later. Like you watch the video package and it's like, you can't help, but not want that dude to win.
0: And that's kind of what I was going to say. Look, Maybe one day in the future, they put a world title on Balor. I don't know. But this on Saturday night killed my belief that he will ever get another run on top of a brand. It was one thing that they killed the demon with the rope break against Roman Reigns. It was one thing that they dug a deeper ditch and buried the gimmick for eternity in the unfathomable loss to Edge inside Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania. This was the chance to reestablish Balor, not only as a world champion and a main eventer, but a true top-level heel. And they didn't take it. Worse is the reason why they didn't take it. So they can do Balor, Priest, and increase animosity in a faction that is super over and should in no way be considering a split. Okay, yeah, maybe they add JD McDonough and it's him and Balor on one side and Priest and Dom on the other. Why are we creating animosity in arguably now the most over faction in the entire company, given the bloodline isn't a full faction anymore? Meanwhile, Rollins retains and moves on to who exactly? There's no other main event heel on the brand other than Gunther, who we will talk about later. And if the plan is to turn Drew McIntyre heel, while that would make sense, he isn't exactly primed for a world title challenge right now. So Not only do I disagree with the booking, I don't understand it, but it's not like it was insulting or infuriating or anything. It's just not at all what I wanted personally, nor what I thought would make the most sense for WWE, especially given how much effort they put into telling this entire seven year story. I mean, they literally said after seven years of anger and pain, well, Finn lost again.
1: He wrote it on his shoulder. it was right. Yeah. It was, right, eh, it was right he there. lost Look, again. This is um, that's it. This is you're right. This is the end of any hope of Finn Balor being a world champion again. It's not happening. Right. Like you're you're never going to ha- you're never going to have it set up better than this. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it, it's clear. It's clear now. And that's why I asked Triple H afterward. I said seven years Finn getting back to this moment. He's had a few title shots. He hasn't gotten over the hump where just where is where where's is yet and triple h said you know he's he's a big part of arguably you know the second biggest faction in the company and that and is he, true kind of cave made me and yeah and, and, and it's and, and he, true kind of cave and said you know and they say he cave and said you know there isn't a leader of the group He he makes a joke that dominic although isn't the leader mm-hmm. and then says i'm i'm very curious to see where Finn and, and Damien figured their deal out. So like, it's clear that's where that's going. Um, I can't see Finn winning the briefcase and then cashing in. It seems unlikely. And based on where Finn is with his age and he's had injury issues before. And Absolutely. that might be the reason they don't want to do it, but he's 42 now. He's obviously in great shape and everything. I don't see him slowing down, but it just seems to me that this was the final definitive nail mm-hmm. in the coffin that they don't feel like he, they can trust him as a world champion. Well, I, again, I don't even know. Or whatever.
0: I don't even know if it's trusting. I just think not going to go with him. Like, it's just, it seems like that as their decision. Right, and right. and it's shocking to, look, I, I said this on our ultimate preview. I know triple H loves Seth Rollins. Everyone knows that, but historically he also loves Finn Balor and, and he was his guy in NXT, mm-hmm. right? He, he, cre- he helped not, I don't want to say he created the demon, but he built Balor up to be the guy who beat Rollins in that universal title match. Like that was because Triple H put in so much work with Balor uh, in NXT. And now he's up on the main roster and Triple H has a chance to make that stamp to say, hey, we we debuted the World Heavyweight Championship. Seth did a great job with it. Now it's time to enter the second phase. Seth has been rehabilitated. Now we're going to use it to rehabilitate Balor. And they didn't do it. Yeah, Balor is still a huge part of the show. Everything Triple H said in that, you know, in that answer to your question, even though he kayfabed you, Uh, It was accurate. He's a huge part of the show. He's one of the top characters on Raw, which for me is the best program they're doing right now. All accurate, uh, except for the fact that he won't be involved in the world title picture. And that's the most important title on the show. So we'll talk more about that probably when we get to our grades at the end of this instant analysis. Chris, let's move into the third of this triple main event, the one match that came between these two men's matches. The WWE Women's Championship was on the line, Asuka against Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair in a triple threat. First on SmackDown, Charlotte got a vignette drinking champagne while laying on a yacht. She said this would be the biggest women's match in SummerSlam history, putting over both opponents. Flair said she had Asuka's number and was a mountain for Belair to climb. She then toasted herself as the new 15-time women's champion. Other than the WrestleMania match against Rhea Ripley, this, to me, Chris, was the best thing Charlotte has done in a long time. This is the exact gimmick she should be having in 2023. Not Flair's daughter and all that bullshit. Like this champagne-sipping, hoity-toity, um, full-of-herself heel. And she was supposed to be a face here, but she came out of as a heel. I hoped we would see this presentation at SummerSlam. I'm not going to say we didn't, because the way she was dressed, it kind of spoke somewhat to this gimmick. I was really happy with this from SmackDown.
1: This is great. All three of these videos were great. They all felt like big stars, just perfectly executed. Like you said, it was the, it was the most interesting and defined Mm -hmm. that Charlotte felt in a long time. It was really good.
0: And just to talk about the other two really quick, Asuka got a really sick one. It was a training vignette. She beat the shit out of a heavy bag and ranted in Japanese with subtitles saying she had a trick up her sleeve at SummerSlam. And then Belair's was kind of the worst of the three because it was the least like visually enticing. She just did a basic workout at a gym like she always does. That said, to your point, I loved how much time and effort they put into building this match and each woman's character. So let's get to the match at SummerSlam. Flair had unique red sparkly gear that gave her a different look. This again was the co-main event, the second to last match, penultimate match on the show. The C4 Sponsorship, was animated on the barricade early, which was immensely distracting. Ultimately, it stopped being animated, but it was terrible. And I did note here that the crowd was kind of deflated at the start, coming off the world title match, but to what you said, it sounds like also the ring mics weren't working, so that was part of it as well. Uh, Flair hit a double natural selection. She and Asuka both got knees up on Belair's handspring moonsault, only for Belair to hit it anyway with Flair in the Asuka lock. Flair again did a moonsault, Hitting absolutely nothing outside. It's the worst moonsault in the business. Then Asuka completely missed a flying DDT because Flair was completely out of position for this. Asuka used the ropes to stop a KOD, tried the Asuka lock over the ropes, and ate a boot from Charlotte. At this point, the match actually got really good. Flair flipped out of a KOD but ate a full release German suplex. Belair powered Flair into a gut wrench Liger bomb. Asuka put her in the Asuka lock. Flair rolled on top for a near fall. Then Charlotte hit a double moonsault and threw Belair over the ropes. She clanged off the steel steps and screamed at the top of her lungs, selling an injured knee first, like yelling about it, then crying. Multiple trainers ran over to her. It looked completely real, not just real, devastating in the moment. She sold anguish and pain. Charlotte speared Asuka and put her in a figure eight when Belair dragged herself back into the ring on one leg and hit a ridiculous 450 onto Flair's arched body for an insane false finish. Flair and Belair went at it with Bianca's knee continuing to collapse while she was fighting. Asuka got bounced off the ring apron with Charlotte putting Bianca in a full arch figure eight, except right as Belair was about to tap, Asuka misted Flair in the face with her you know, head turned upside down. Then she went after Belair, who with her legs still trapped in the figure four, caught Asuka in a pinning combination to win the title in 21 minutes. And my first thought was, LOL, Bianca wins. Except, EO Sky immediately ran down with Bailey and the Money in the Bank briefcase. Bailey took out Asuka and Flair with the briefcase for Eo. Then she gave it to Sky. EO used it first on Belair's injured knee. Then she bopped her in the head. She cashed it in pretty much while she was on the ropes. And as soon as they announced that the match was official, EO hit over the moonsault to beat Bel Air for the title in nine seconds. Cole made an incredible call from the world of stardom to the top of the world. The crowd went wild for EO. And then Dakota Kai ran in to celebrate with her damage control members exactly one year to the event that they debuted together as a faction. Talk about having your emotions go from zero to 60, here I am ready to absolutely blast them for putting the title back on Charlotte, only getting ready to blast them for putting the title back on Bel Air when it turned out to be the perfect booking to not only protect Asuka from McCashan, but preserve a potential feud between Io and Asuka, which we wondered about, like how could they create that feud given she has the briefcase? Let's remember One year ago, folks, Io was on her way out of WWE and back to Japan because Vince McMahon refused to call her up from NXT. Then she debuts on the main roster with Bayley and Dakota, gets crazy momentum at Backlash after a string of losses that were disappointing. She wins Money in the Bank, and now she wins the top title in the division exactly one year after their big SummerSlam moment. Mwah! chef's kiss booking here. Not only that, Bailey actually helped her by basically clearing the path with the briefcase shots. Io attacked a protected Bianca by giving the shot to the knee and we got Dakota to cap the entire thing off. Man, let me tell you how I felt about this. You rub me just right every week. This rubbed me the right way. Chris, before we get to the match itself, because I do want to talk about that separately, what is your take here?
1: uh awesome for sky extremely happy for her. crowd went nuts when when uh her music hit i'd kind of forgotten what her music was um and they actually made a comment they made a joke in the in the press conference that uh that her music's actually really good and they should play it more. it's great music um, yeah it's incredible but i i love that Cole call that you mentioned i'll have to go back and hear that i love that bailey when it had when the match finished i was like how is he going to really cash in here? Charlotte and Oscar are still just kind of hanging around. Mm-hmm. Right. But no, you Bailey comes in. Boom, boom, hits him with the briefcases. Boom, hit Bianca. I was like, Oh, this all makes perfect sense. And it was awesome. Uh, I did also think that's a one month money in the bank reign mm-hmm. for a, a woman. It's another short one. Although it's, I think the second, second longest third ever, longest <laughs> ever, <laughs> it was, even though it was only a month. Yeah. Uh, so it's that, but um, overall, happy made sense. I I still think you could have cashed in on Asuka. I I honestly really really hate the someone wins the title and then immediately gets cashed in on. I just in general always hate that. The shield at the shield moment that had happened that was a little bit different because of who they were. Um, I feel like you could have just had Oscar win this and get cashed in on, and they do a feud. Mm-hmm. But the
0: fine. the reason why I liked it here is because Oscar's reign ended in a more legitimate fashion, whereas Belair was injured. So you know, Io taking advantage of that injury just made a lot of sense in that moment, rather than her taking it to Asuka and then Asuka loses the title and she's feuding, coming from underneath, really, as the challenger. I I did kind of wish that Io would challenge Asuka, meaning Io was the challenger and Asuka was the champion, but it's impossible to do that when you have money in the bank unless you want her to fail cashing it in. And really, failing cashing it in is not a good look for anybody. And if you look at the track record on who's no. failed, other than John Cena, it's not a good track record. So, you know, I'm I'm glad she won the title. The fans were happy. I'm sure Puerto Rico was going crazy for Eos guy uh, being the new uh, WWE Women's Champion. And I thought it was a great moment. Now, in terms of the match itself, it did take a while for this to get going, as I mentioned earlier, longer than I expected. Flair was rough as hell early. But to her credit, she did get in the groove later. Asuka was the MVP. The booking was incredibly smart throughout with Bel Air, again, doing one of the best injury cells I can remember. She screamed bloody murder on the landing and really sold the pain and anguish. And we got expert commentary here from Corey Graves as well. While she's in pain and she's outside the ring, the camera keeps going back to her. Corey Graves tells production, hey, focus on the women in the ring we don't need to see that. Don't focus on the woman who's hurt. You know, that's disgusting. It's bad. Like, you know, it's it's painful for her. This is a bad moment. Let's just concentrate on the ring and, and not make people watch this pain that she's going through. And then for her to come back from that, even though you could kind of see her and the trainers out there on the ramp and she wasn't too far away, that's when you started to know, okay, it's fake and she's going to come back. But up until that kind of point, it seemed real. I mean, the way they rushed over to her, they were great. She was great. It was great. Uh, The entire finishing sequence, I thought, was nails as well. From the 450 to the figure eight on Bianca to the mist, Asuka did look a tad weak getting pinned like that because Lord knows they would never let Charlotte lose a match like that and actually protect the champion. Now, Belair adding a tick to her resume with another title, it does make sense. And as we continue to talk about her needing to add an edge, Chris, what better motivation could there be Than this, she now holds the longest women's title reign of the modern era and the shortest title reign of all time. (laughs) Fun fact right there. Really? It was Charlotte who was protected here. The person in least need of protection, not the end of the world, just kind of standard operating procedure, four stars and an A minus for the match. I saw some people really heavily criticizing this match. I feel like they watched the first half, decided it was bad and then just kind of gave up. The match got really freaking good over the second half. That's why it's at four stars. I also loved the story, the cash in at the end. That's all together here in the grade.
1: Well, again, the, the crowd, I heard the crowd was probably not great for that match on TV. It wasn't. That's probably re- leading to some reaction. It's, totally. it's interesting that you said that you felt Asuka was the MVP of this because to I felt from my vantage point up in the corner mm-hmm. that uh, Charlotte was the MVP. It Oof. felt like, she was carrying most of the match in that almost the whole match was revolving around her. That's true.
0: Sorry, let me interrupt you. It's true. It's true that the match revolved around her. The fact that the match revolved around her and she was perhaps the worst performer in it tells you that she wasn't the MVP.
1: Well, it just felt like there was very little that Asuka did in this match that was was memorable to me. I thought what jumped out to me, you mentioned Charlotte being kind of rough early. Mm Mm-hmm. What jumped out to me, it felt like Charlotte and Bianca had zero chemistry together. Like they were not connecting on anything. Again. I'd have to go rugged, yeah. rewatch it and, and have another. No, you're game, right. But it no. felt like every single time the two of them were together, it was clunky as hell.
0: Uh you're you nailed and, that, that is correct. And she didn't really have much chemistry with Asuka either, to be honest.
1: And the the injury. I did think it was real at first because I thought, oh, she's falling off. The the, the the move is for her to hit her head or whatever, but she accidentally hit her leg. And that's why she's upset. No, I saw the trainers come down. I was like, oh, shit, I think she really is injured. Yep. But when but when the camera showed her because we could see that when the camera showed her and when they had the spotlight on her as she was starting to kind of move, then I was like, oh, no, she's she's fine. She's fine. Yeah. You, you would not be showing it on TV. Correct. Yeah. Having a spotlight on her. Also, having her walk on it. On right, right. Out, right. On the way out if it, was, if it was real. So I did think it was real at first. So credit to her for that. But just general, as someone who has watched a lot of wrestling, you pick up on the cues, you realize that it wasn't real. And my dad knew that. My dad was yeah. like, my, my dad who does not watch much wrestling anymore. He's like, she's fine. She's going to come back in and win it, which yeah, I which which did happen (laughs) did actually happen yeah the match the match should have ended on the 450 on the figure eight yes they nailed
0: that oh my god if
1: bianca was gonna win if bianca was gonna win do it there like that they hit it perfectly you're never gonna hit it more perfectly than that that that's the spot to do it i would have ended it there if you were gonna have bianca win again i would have had oscar win but if you were gonna do it do it that way Overall, I thought the match was great. I, I the the beginning of it being slow, I honestly don't remember because mm-hmm. the second half of it was nails. So I I thought they all I thought they all showed up.
0: Was that to me thinking about it now? That was the spot of the entire show. Do you agree with that? The four fifty.
1: Oh, a- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, also that, on that note, by the way, go ahead. Charlotte hit a mo- a, a real moonsault in the ring. For the first time that I could ever remember.
0: <laughs> she did hit that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A real moonsault. Not the jump and land on her feet and you don't hit anybody one. Which right. she also did in that match and she has always done. Ugh, so I bad. can't remember if she ever did a real moonsault and she hit it. And I like jumped out of my seat when that happened. I was like, oh my gosh, she finally did one. So yeah. maybe and- she's done that before. I don't know. But that was the first one I could remember.
0: I think she's done Andrade's double moonsault. But I don't think she's done it like you're talking about. And yeah, she completely missed that one outside. But Everything that happened from Bianca's knee injury onward, I just thought was really, really smart and extremely well-executed. I mean, the, if they don't do the knee injury spot, then the 450, it's still impressive, but it's not as impressive. It's not as surprising. Then the figure eight doesn't really sell the same way. And then the briefcase spot to the knee doesn't sell the same way. So they just, I thought it was nails from that point forward. Like it was, a, it was a, if you only started when she ran back into the ring through the end of the segment, it's five stars. But obviously, a lot more happened that preceded that, and therefore I didn't get there with it. But nevertheless, I think this match was way better than people give it credit for, mostly because they looked at the crowd reaction, which you pointed out had to do with ring mics, which I don't think anyone else really knows who wasn't there. And number two, the botches early with Charlotte, which were legitimately bad, and it goes on a string of criticisms we've had about Charlotte in the ring recently. Let's move to the fourth biggest match of the show, which was, I think, also called the main event, but wasn't. It was the second match on the card. Cody Rhodes against Brock Lesnar. Cody attacked Brock before the bell. Rhodes hit two disaster kicks that did no damage as Lesnar just tossed him around with eight various suplexes, trying for countouts while trash talking. Cody kept breaking the count and he kept coming in later and later, which is what you would do. Lesnar then had an F5 at ringside, screaming for him to stay down, but he broke it at nine. Rhodes fought back. But he had a ninth suplex and a second F5. This one through the announce table. Cole stood over him, pleading for him to stop and get medical attention. You probably didn't hear that, but it was pretty funny. Cole, like, standing over Cody saying, Cody, stop, dude. Like, what are you doing to yourself? This shit's over. Get it. Give up. Uh, Lesnar.
1: I couldn't see that.
0: Yeah. Lesnar then hit the 10th and 11th suplexes as Rhodes grabbed the turnbuckle to stop him, like to, to stop him from pulling him, and ripped it off. Uh, Cody tried using steel steps as a battering ram which would have been a disqualification, but Brock kicked them away. Then Rhodes picked them up and drilled them with them anyway, didn't get disqualified, ran him into the post twice, hit a disaster kick and a Cody cutter back inside. Then he hit an Escalera top rope Cody cutter for a false finish. Lesnar came back with the Camorra lock. Rhodes agonizingly got a rope break. Cody then countered an F5 by running Lesnar into the exposed turnbuckle and put Brock in the Camorra lock himself. Lesnar sold his ass off, screaming and nearly tapping out before breaking it. Cody then countered an F5 into three crossroads in succession, covering Lesnar for the squeaky clean one, two, three, other than the uh, stair shot. In 17 minutes, both men sold injured arms after the bell, removed their gloves, slowly approached one another, went face to face, shook hands, and hugged. Lesnar also raised Rhodes's arm, to all four sides of the ring. Now, I understand that some will default to calling this match boring because of how it started. I thought it was incredibly unique. It sold both Rhodes' never-say-die attitude and Lesnar's recognition that he has struggled to put this guy away in their matches, thinking the best way to beat him is probably by countout. It was basically like the debut of Suplex City against John Cena, except the babyface actually rallied in this match. There was literally only one problem I had in the entire match, and that was the steel steps. That is a DQ, (laughs) period. When you take something like that and purposely use it as a weapon, it's one thing to put someone through an announce table that's there, or to run them into the steel steps or the post. But when you pick up the steps and use them as a weapon, that's a disqualification. The worst part of it, it added nothing to the match, and it could have just been skipped. Now, yeah, you're going to say Silver King, referee's discretion. Sure, I guess. For me, it was idiotic. Again, that's one spot I didn't like. I was worried that the turnbuckle spot would end the match. They avoided that. The Camorra lock I thought was exceptional with Lesnar selling for Rhodes with that, the way he did for Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles in those survivor series matches. Lesnar was kind of protected in the finish. Rhodes looked like a beast and the post match with Cody gaining Brock's respect, remember that's something he never gave Roman. Triple H claimed after the show in that press conference that you know Brock putting him over after the bell was unplanned. It seemed planned, but that's what Triple H said. Uh that also means Lesnar can come back as a babyface, which is how we prefer him these days. It also plays into half of the reason or the half reason that we were given for the feud even happening. Lesnar not believing Rhodes deserved to be in the main event of WrestleMania over him. Now, Cody has earned Brock's respect after this three-match feud. When I say I want match stories to go along with superb in ring work, this is what I'm talking about. If there was a bit more here and if the stair spot was removed, I might've gone even higher with this grade. I think I'm gonna be way above most people here. This was an A, and I'm going to say 4.25 stars. I thought this was terrific from top to finish, from start to finish.
1: You said that uh, some people might call it boring. Yeah. Um, I'm one of those people. Fair (laughs) enough. I I was bored for quite a while. I, I couldn't help but think at various points in this match, like did Brock and Cody want a stipulation on their match and not get it? So they like, Began the match as if it was a last man standing match. Then throw in a stair shot as if it's a no DQ match. And then go on with the match. I don't know. that was, The stare shot baffled me. Uh, like you said as well. Not the end of the world. But just really weird. Um, it, it, to me. This match. Really represented the entire story. They got an amazing video package. That they they did for this match. They hyped this up. Like this epic three-match feud, Cody's big moment to triumph over such a big name like Brock Lesnar, it was all there on paper, and you explaining the story like that is accurate, but I never, ever felt like this had any juice to it. Hmm. I never, I just, I never connected to it like the way, like the story, like they did tell a story, kind of. They know there was never a, there wasn't a beginning right. to the
0: story. It's half a story. There wasn't a
1: reason for the story, yeah. but they told a story and you know, it's fine. I was just really bored of this match. It it felt like, um, I don't know. I've, I've seen, I don't know. We have just, we've seen a lot of Brock matches. We see what he does. You knew Cody was going to win. And so maybe, maybe it was all it could be. Um, i Stunned by your rating, I think it's good, when we disagree on these things. Yeah. Um. So I, I mean, I was thinking like three stars, maybe. Wow. I, I okay. couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you like anything that I was just like really super into. Um. So yeah, this is. I thought it was boring. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I thought the whole story was boring.
0: I will rewatch it. There's two matches in particular, probably three actually. I'm going to rewatch from this show. Uh, Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes, the World Heavyweight Championship, and the WWE Women's Championship. And maybe we always do uh, second thoughts, uh, second chance uh, analysis of premium live events on our Tuesday WWE show. There's a good chance I rewatch this with the fresh mind uh, on Sunday and say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I overrated it. Very possible. Uh, I've done it before. Um, but I really liked what they gave us here. And again, when I grade matches, I'm not only grading like the work rate of the match. It's everything. It's the story. It's how you feel, how the crowd reacts. Everything. And for me, this came off as massively successful. And I do recognize that I'm higher than most people. Uh, You pointed out this in your uh, analysis a moment ago. We spoke at length about how this match clearly needed a stipulation come in. I personally would say it was successful with that one. I'm happy to admit that I was wrong about that. It did feel like you said, based on the first half of the match, that the plan might have been last man standing. But the one, two, three getting the pinfall was definitely better than a count to 10, if that was the original plan. Yes. And I liked the way that they executed that. So it almost did feel like a last man standing match, but with a pinfall finish. And I think that's better, obviously, than a regular last man standing match. Now, Chris did run into a bit of a technical issue. So the Silver King is going to run through the next couple of matches by himself, but Vintage will be back before the end of the show to wrap everything up. Don't you worry, he will be back soon. Let's move to the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther defending against Drew McIntyre. Gunther dodged a Claymore, hitting a shotgun dropkick before McIntyre reversed a powerbomb and hit a future shock DDT. Gunther countered another Claymore with a shotgun, then hit a powerbomb and huge splash for a pair of false finishes. There was an even longer and more brutal chop sequence here than the one we got early in the match. McIntyre ended it with a Claymore off the ropes for a 2.9 false finish. McIntyre then went to the top for a huge suplex, Gunther pushed him crotch first onto the top rope, immediately hitting his huge splash and a power bomb for the one, two, three in 14 minutes. This might be the first time Gunther's chest looked like he chopped himself. I know Seamus went at him hard, but it just seemed like Drew had a little bit more power because dude looked like hamburger meat up there. No doubt about that. That means. We got exactly what we wanted from this match.
1: He don't want no water.
0: He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And also what we expected. (laughs) Big meaty man slapping meat. (laughs) That's what I want. I will say, though, it was not much more than that. It paled in comparison to both of the Sheamus matches, but especially Clash in the Castle. And in some ways... I'm happy about that because as we discussed on the Ultimate Preview, the storyline coming in here was really thin and seriously lacking in build. In the end, this might've been best served actually as a raw main event with Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus in this spot instead. I am definitely going five slabs of beef because on this podcast, we just don't grade on stars when it comes to there being a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And here we did get, oh we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight i did botch that a little bit but nevertheless so i am going fly five slabs of beef here but four stars and an a-minus it was definitely violent but it never felt like mcintyre had any real chance of winning the title even after he initially hit the claymore it just didn't play for me as well as the sheamus matches and those need to be our direct comparisons. It basically never entered fourth gear. And it felt like it had an entire act left to go when it suddenly ended. That's kind of the best way to put it. It's almost exactly the same as what happened in the Matt Riddle match at Money in the Bank and then again on Raw. Now granted those matches were shorter and we did get more here. This was better than those. But just like those matches, it felt like there was a whole nother sequence of events that still needed to transpire, but the match ended before we got to them. It was still entertaining and worthwhile for SummerSlam. I just really felt, hey, this could have been on Raw, and I think we would have been praising it as a fantastic TV match. Instead, for the stage it was on here, it did fall below expectations. And now we have 32 days until Honky Tonk Man's record is conquered. Gunther is going to need to get out of payback with the title and take it into Raw that Monday night after Labor Day. I do truly hope it's either Gunther against Chad Gable on that show and not McIntyre again, or they save Gable to, I don't know, perhaps be the one to shock Gunther and take the title off of him in the future. But I really don't want to see Gunther and McIntyre again. I would much rather have Drew turn heel Monday night than see this again so soon, or have Drew do this match again at payback, and lose twice in just over a month before he turns heel. That, to me, feels unnecessary. I do not necessarily think that they are building Gable to be the guy to dethrone Gunther. However, if we get Gunther, and I know he just said his name two different ways, but if we get Gunther against Gable at payback, that's gonna be a really big stage for Gable, and it will help elevate him possibly into that upper-mid card which is where he does need to be. So again, if I'm booking the damn territory, Gunther, Gable, at payback, McIntyre turns heel Monday night on Raw, and that is where we go forward with the Intercontinental title, Andrew McIntyre. So let's move to Ronda Rousey against Shayna Baszler in an MMA rules match. The referee off mic said the match was not WWE sanctioned, and the only way to win was knockout or submission. We never got the rules otherwise. By the way, the referee was wearing a WWE striped shirt. So it may not have been sanctioned, but it was in a WWE ring on a WWE show with a WWE referee. Rousey had a sports like bra type that had WWE in the middle in the same style as the UFC ones she used to wear kind of to sell that she was dressed up for an MMA match. Baszler refused to touch gloves with Cole pointing out, Rousey had never offered to do that before against any of her opponents. Shayna hit a huge roundhouse kick that sent Ronda outside. Rousey then hit her step-up knee to take out Baszler, but she didn't capitalize on it as one would in an MMA match. You knock someone down, you immediately pounce on them and try to end the match. Trainers then checked on Baszler for something with her arm, only for Rousey to throw both trainers out of the way. Shayna hit a German suplex, then countered Ronda's armbar into an ankle lock. Baszler then put Rousey in the Kirafuda clutch, and after stopping a counter eventually choked her out and won via TKO in seven minutes. Now look, if the contract date was not an issue, this would have been perfect for payback next month. It was not appropriate for SummerSlam. No one cared enough, and it certainly was not good enough. That was proven by the swarms of folks who clearly left the, I was gonna say arena, but the stadium area to use the bathroom during the match. As I mentioned already, They never firmly described what MMA rules were, nor did they actually follow what I know MMA rules to be. People will probably say they hated it. I didn't hate it, but I was immensely bored by it. I'm bored, brother. And the part with the trainers was kind of ridiculous. There were some solid like individual sequences here. So because of that, I'm not saying it was awful. And one of our listeners, Coach Tuck, actually tweeted at me. He's like, they pretty much sparred live at SummerSlam. And I mean, it was a little bit more intense than a sparring session, sure, but it did kind of feel like that. This wasn't good enough and it was not the right type of match to put in front of a crowd of 51,000, which is technically the number, 59,000 WWE announced, whatever the case. I went two stars and a C minus. Let me be clear about something before we move on. I saw people say, I can't believe that they did Ronda and Shayna instead of Becky and Trish. That's not what happened. Okay. Stop that stupidity. It was scheduled for SummerSlam anyway. And let me tell you this if they took this off the show and gave Becky and Trish seven minutes, everyone, myself included, would have been up in arms about that. Ricochet fought Logan Paul in the show opener. Logan entered first. Funny enough, Samantha Irvin was actually wearing Logan's same shade of yellow in her dress as opposed to matching Ricochet's red or blue. Paul delivered a draping neckbreaker to the ring apron and taunted Sam. Then he did an awful but successful running power slam as a shot at Braun Strowman, which Cole called out as, hey, he was Ricochet's former partner. Logan next did Hulk Hogan's entire signature sequence, except he did it with a split at the end instead of a leg drop. That was great. Ricochet came back teasing the rock with a people's elbow, except at the end of it, he did a standing moonsault instead. Ricochet blocked the Spanish fly off the apron only to hit a running Spanish fly at ringside. Then Paul did the buckshot lariat from the inside of the ring over the top rope outside to the floor. He executed it, and Ricochet just barely missed the barricade with his head. He could have been concussed, so they got away with it, but it was clunky, and that spot didn't make any sense. Your momentum coming down like that, it's just, it's not, you want to land flat and then lariat someone, he was coming down, he landed, then he had to lurch forward. That just wasn't a good spot. Shane Helms was the producer of this match. He did a great job. This was not one of the spots that was something I'd consider great. Speaking of Shane Helms, Ricochet hit a super swinging neckbreaker and caught Logan in a moonsault off the ropes only to hit a tornado DDT counter. Ricochet came back with recoil but ate double knees on a shooting star press as he hesitated selling his ribs. Logan then hit a springboard frog splash Two-thirds of the way across the ring, Ricochet countered the loaded right hand with a superkick and a detonation kick, plus a Death Valley driver and a springboard moonsault for a false finish. He continued selling the ribs with a delay on the top rope. That cost him a 630. He landed right on his back. Then one of Logan's idiot friends handed him brass knuckles for a loaded knockout punch and the victory in 18 minutes. Speaking for all of us after the bell, the first line out of Cole's mouth Quote, that was a great match, but the ending sucked. And we will cut that sound drop and include it on this show starting Tuesday and going forward. But the ending didn't actually suck. It was just cheap, given the caliber of the match that preceded it. But it was purposeful because they wanted to protect Ricochet, which was the entire point. He is the full-time professional wrestler. Logan is not. So if you're going to have Logan beat Ricochet, doing it in this way is a lot better than the guy getting a squeaky clean victory. And for that reason, I not only accept it, I respect Triple H going to those lengths. Because look, it's projection, and I don't know for sure, but I would bet good money if Vince McMahon had the book here instead of Triple H, he would have just beaten Ricochet clean. I loved that Logan taunted Sam after the bell, and she showed her anger longer after the match. Again, Paul going over here was the right move. He does need to pick up some wins and Ricochet is neither a champion nor a main eventer, so it made sense. There were a couple rough spots early. I didn't like the buckshot lariat to the outside, as I said. No way that could have been executed well. It was fun that Shane Helms produced the match and they did the hurricane callback, plus obviously the Hogan and Rock moments. For a match built on viral moments, there were definitely a few, but it wasn't anything that I would say was contrived or beyond expectations. It was a damn good SummerSlam opener. You could say it was one of the best SummerSlam openers in a while. I went four stars and an A minus here. And I actually didn't say, I'm realizing it now in my whole breakdown, I didn't say the standard, Logan Paul has no business being this good at wrestling, mostly because it's not a surprise anymore that he's this good at wrestling. I had to get that in here before we move on. Now, Chris did ask this on the preview, so I'm going to note it here. Logan did indeed drink Prime on the show. He took a bottle from a kid in the crowd, which I have to believe was a plant of some kind. WWE did not cut away from it. I'm assuming C4 Energy was okay with it. They were all over this entire show, Um, but clearly that was some type of sponsorship conflict. I presume it was written in the contract, so there's probably nothing that they could do about it. With Chris back online now, let's get to the SummerSlam Battle Royal first, SmackDown. LA Knight fought Sheamus. This opened the show. Michael Cole was crowing about Knight's popularity, his momentum. He also, LA, got a pre-match promo. He was all over the place, not his best. Ringside was filled with all the Battle Royal competitors from both brands. Knight ate white noise on the apron. Later, he had a burning hammer. Sheamus came back with avalanche white noise for a false finish. Knight botched a clean jump. To the top rope. When he recovered, Sheamus botched climbing the ropes. They both completely fell outside to sell it. Austin Theory attacked Santos Escobar out of the crowd. All the non-lumberjacks brawled. Sheamus grabbed Miz for 10 beats, taking his eyes off Knight, who avoided a bro kick that hit Miz, with Knight connecting with blunt force trauma on Sheamus for the win. He then threw Cross out of the ring and got away. Not a clean double segment by any means, and the planned finishing sequence was surely better than what we got. But the last couple moves were smart to protect Sheamus via distraction. And the distraction was of his own doing. That said, Sheamus looked exhausted late in this match, which is really strange for a guy in his shape. It was a really nice setup for SummerSlam overall, a big win for Knight against a future Hall of Famer. And he kind of put him over before the bell too. Uh, Knight put over Sheamus and then beat him. It also got a ton of time on SmackDown. My thought coming out of this was that this was bigger than him potentially winning the Battle Royal. But people would still be mad if he didn't win the Battle Royal on
1: Saturday. Him winning this match made me think he was not going to win the Battle Royal on Saturday. But opening the show, having a mic in his hand, like that right there, forget anything, forget the Sheamus match, forget the Battle Royal. Him opening the show and getting the mic is... The ultimate exactly. stamp of approval, like you're a dude. Yeah. So, you know, we we we, we had said after he lost in the US title, people were flipping out. I had people asked who don't barely watch wrestling, what are they doing with LA Knight? And I we said they gotta tell us before SummerSlam that it's going back in the right direction. And before we got to SummerSlam, you could already tell. Yeah. So that was good.
0: One more quick point before we move on to the battle royal. Is it just me or before Saturday? Had LA Knight appeared like nervous over his last couple of appearances? Like, we know he's a smooth talker and he's kind of mediocre in the ring, but he really had not come across at the top of his game since this kind of legitimate part of the push actually started.
1: Yeah, he has stumbled over some words started sentences and finished them with kind of different sentences. Uh, I actually thought he was better over the last week than he was in the previous week or two. Um, but, but to that point, I'll say like, you know, he, he is a good talker, but it's a different kind of talking, right. you know, like I, I wouldn't necessarily say the rock is the best talker in the history of WWE. Although some people like to say it, mm-hmm. it's more about having enough transition to your various catchphrases, which right. is fine. That's what wrestling is. And he did, he, he has stumbled on those a couple of times. Yeah, it feels like
0: he's forcing his catchphrases in rather than just talking. And then at the end, just saying, and everybody's saying LA Knight, but I digress. Let's get to the Battle Royal. Knight was one of three superstars with entrances. MVP then stopped the match at the bell to introduce a returning Omos, so I guess four entrances. Uh, and Omos did have the most eliminations here. Tommaso Ciampa eliminated both Viking Raiders, then Shinsuke Nakamura with Willow's bell, only for Bronson Reed to toss him out. They played up Knight eliminating Omas only to eat a boot. Everyone then teamed up on Omas with him eating bro kick and phenomenal forearm before an eight-man elimination. Grayson Waller and Miz combined for a rolling cutter skull crushing finale on Chad Gable. Knight and Sheamus then took out the heels. AJ Styles eliminated Cross with a Pele kick. Knight then single-handedly dragged Reed over the top rope. Cross grabbed Styles' leg leading to a bro kick elimination. Knight and Sheamus then repeated the botched spot from SmackDown, an avalanche belly-to-belly toss suplex, with Knight throwing him over the rope and winning in 11 minutes with Cole screaming, LA Knight has arrived. Now forget for a moment Knight winning, which was obviously the right decision, but this battle royal, Mm -hmm. it kind of banged. like It completely exceeded my expectations, and that speaks largely to WWE filling it with legitimate names who can go, and not just low-card guys from tag teams. This was indeed the coronation of Knight to a point where no one should have it in their mind anymore that WWE is not pushing him. He even did the Slim Jim commercial with Bianca Belair after this was over, kind of doing their own Randy Savage impersonation, slap into a Slim Jim, and Savage was in the commercial, obviously, old footage. What was great about this battle royal was how many feuds were continued within it, including Gable eliminating both Imperium guys. That stood out. The best part was probably Waller and Miz basically doing the Spider-Man meme. The ovation for Knight, though, was in- I thought
1: the same thing. Yeah, the
0: ovation for Knight was
1: insane. Thing.
0: They needed, yeah. yeah. Uh, Knight got a huge pop. I loved that. It was like he won the Royal Rumble, not a battle royal. <laughs> Wild. And... The makeup for the smackdown botch with like the box jump to the top rope and the belly to belly. That was a really fun, like tongue-in-cheek moment for the fans. I went 3.5 stars in a B.
1: This match highlighted how good WWE is at planning, executing, and producing battle royals, and why AEW has been so bad at them. Mm-hmm. It focuses on a handful of people that matter. In giving them their moments and pacing them well. Mm-hmm. Chad Gable over huge in this match. People were going nuts for him. He got his spots. Grayson Waller got spots. The Miz thing. My brother said the same thing. Hey, it's like the Spider-Man thing. I was surprised they didn't just point to each other. Uh, you, you, you got to continue some feuds. Omos coming in when that happened. My first thought is, oh, we're in Detroit someone's going to slam Omas to do like the Andre the Giant thing, because when they had WrestleMania 23 here in Detroit, they had Kane suplex big show like it was Andre the Giant did not happen though. I was, I actually thought it was going to happen, but Omas played a great role in this. This was arguably as good as he's ever looked by the way. Absolutely. Um, he, he looked intimidating. He, he, he executed things. People feared him, you know, like just, Everything about that worked, yeah. and then ultimately in the end l a night wins, and biggest arguably biggest pop of the night, I think had to be um l a night coming out um people just everybody was ready for it. I said this on our Twitter to spaces, so many l a night shirts in mm-hmm. the crowd, like I would literally look and could count there's one, two, three, four, like those they're not they're not lying when they say l a night was the number one merch seller. In July, people are just, just so enthralled with him. He's get like, I forgot who it was on Twitter who said this, but like, La Knight spent so much time just doing Attitude Era things, imitating the Attitude Era. That now he's getting Attitude Era pops, um, and it just it, it really is what it sounds like. We don't care what his move set is. We don't care if he stumbles over some words. He's just got a charisma and an energy, and when he says his catchphrases, we want to say it with him. We want to watch him win, and. It's just extremely fun for that to happen. We haven't done our Triple H one year look back, but we we, we teased it and you listed off a bunch of people a year ago who were going to get a big push uh, or who had a lot more opportunity now because of Triple H. Mm-hmm. And I said, LA Knight's one of them. And here we are one year later. I'm in the crowd watching LA Knight win a somewhat meaningless battle royal, but it feels like he won the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Uh, just everything about this was incredibly fun. The, the, it had no stakes but it was a joy from start to finish.
0: Yeah, there was a question about like why Austin Theory was in this match as US champion. Why not? It wasn't a number one contendership. It wasn't, it was just a battle royal. Why can people with titles not be in the match? And that didn't make any sense to why people were c- curious about that. They're asking why he was in it. Why Santos Escobar? Why would an Escobar be in it? He's a wrestler. You're, you're trying to win the battle royal. I mean, when they did the Andre the Giant battle royal at WrestleMania, I believe at least one of the years, um, there wasn't a U.S. title match on the show and the champion was in that match as well. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I didn't get that at all. Now, in terms of any additional analysis from SummerSlam, we will do a second look on Tuesday's WWE episode. Rewatch you know, some of the matches, go over some of the notes, things I missed, things we didn't get an opportunity to say. So there might be more obviously coming up on that WWE episode. For now though, let's wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast with our final grades from WWE SummerSlam. Before we get to that, let's go over our pre-show expectation grades. On the Ultimate Preview, Chris, who of course was in attendance at SummerSlam and probably graded on a little bit of a pre-show curve, uh, said he thought the show would be an A. Your boy right here, the Silver King, said A-. And our listeners in our pre-show poll on Twitter Spaces, they voted 60% A-. 34% B, 5% C, 1% D to F. That's an average of 90.7 or a 91, which is an A minus. So Chris, as always, when we do our grades, we start with you. And of course, we will wrap up with the listeners final grades. What is your grade for WWE SummerSlam? Again, let's everyone remember he was in attendance and he did not get to watch on TV or hear commentary. Go for it.
1: It, it is an interesting mix because you, you and I had very different views on a lot of different matches uh, in part because commentary versus being there. And, and normally I think being there pushes this up huge. Like I gave the WrestleMania, I was at and some other stuff like A's cause like it was a very fun vibe. Mm-hmm. This vibe didn't match that for, for reasons I've explained. Um, I, I guess I didn't also talk about some of the matches that uh, I was out for a minute. Shayna Baszler, Ronda Rousey, again, as I said at the top of the show, completely sucked the wind out of the building. It was, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like, everybody was just like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. There were some, this is boring chants, which I really hate when that happens. Don't do that. Um, it, it just bizarre. Drew versus Gunther, a lot of fun, solid, but never really, never really thought Drew was gonna win or like had a chance to win. Exactly. Wasn't as good as the shame wasn't as good as the Seamus match. Like they they didn't even give him the 3 2 1 claim or the Gunther could kick out of. Like it was a it was a claim out of nowhere. You knew he would kick out. Sure. And then uh the other match was Logan Paul and Ricochet. Uh, uh, Logan Paul Ricochet a lot of fun. That might have been my dad's favorite match of the of night. Mm-hmm. Um I I both guys were great. I agree your point on the finish protects Log uh, protects ricochet by, by doing it like that. Logan wins flies down to Dallas. I, I didn't see Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz, but I heard uh, Jake Paul won. So
0: not only Dave did Jake Pauls. Paul win, so when Logan Paul arrived, he was still in his wrestling gear. He never changed.
1: Oh, wow. that yeah. That's shoot. I'm sure WWE like that. Yeah. Could have changed on the plane. Didn't do it. Yep. Um, so all of that together, like I, I said, a coming in, Absolutely not an A. Right. Several things did not live up to the hype. Roman, uh Roman J did not live up to the hype. uh Cody Brock did not live up to my hype. But I also had some high moments. LA Knight, awesome moment. Logan Paul Ricochet, awesome moment. Seth Finn, match of the night, women's match, awesome stuff, especially at the end. I'm gonna go B plus.
0: What number? Um,
1: I- I'm gonna go middle B plus so like 88 just like a okay. solid B plus I, I never I, I came out of it I do not I just I didn't feel like I was considering it in the a range I never really thought this could be It never crossed my mind to think eh, maybe this is an a range type of show didn't feel like that but I also absolutely uh, did not feel like I could take it much lower right given some of the some of the really good highs in this so solid B Plus,
0: so I simultaneously somehow agree and disagree with you. So let me let me go ahead and break it down. Going into the main event, I thought my take in this section, the notes that I had were going to be like this that if Finn Balor won the world title and Rousey and Baszler had not been on the card, that the main event would be so good that this might have been a perfect A show again, if Balor had won and Rousey and Baszler were not on the card. That's what I thought Mm -hmm. I was going to be saying going into the main event. And I got tweets that said, Balor not winning dragged down the show. I think that is total horseshit. It was a great match without our desired result. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden the match was shit. It just, we didn't get exactly what we wanted. And don't be a crybaby about it. But the main event, which is the one match that needed to deliver. It did not deliver in the way I expected. Again, I did expect Roman to win. I wasn't disappointed with the outcome. I was disappointed with the lack of imagination building a tribal combat match. And I was heavily disappointed in how much Solo Sokoa was involved. I was disappointed that he was involved at all, but especially to the level that he was. And that match alone knocked my grade down from a potential A to a B plus, and the number I wrote down was 88 out of 100. Now, <laughs> the ceiling for SummerSlam, I thought was immensely high, but there was not mm-hmm. enough on the show for it to be considered an A or better, given it was the second biggest premium live event of the year. WWE has not changed any men's main roster title in 253 days since November, 2022. That's when Austin Theory won the U.S. Championship. The lone men's title change was the tag team titles at WrestleMania night one. Now it makes sense for Roman Reigns and Gunther to have long title reigns, but Rollins easily could have lost the title and been fine tonight. He was boosted by winning the world championship. He did a good job establishing the title itself Balor winning here would have gone a long way to helping him. The women's title match was very good, not incredible based on how it started. Gunther and McIntyre was below expectation. Rousey Baszler was obviously terrible. But I actually thought, as I mentioned earlier, Cody Brock over-delivered, Ricochet Logan was strong, and the battle royal was exactly what it needed to be. I do believe there are way too many people overreacting to their feelings of the main event and not putting that in context of what was a more than four hour show. You can't judge an entire show just because you didn't like the main event or you did not like the finish to the main event. So again, I'm at 88 out of 100 and a B plus. Now, in terms of our listeners, our getting overheads, they voted in our poll at getting overcast on Twitter, 34% A, again, down from 60 in the pre-show, 46% 46% B, which was 12% higher, 16% C, which was 11% higher, and then 4% D to F. And I, again, I have to believe the D or F is an overreaction to the main event, but I do believe A, B, or C, there are different fans who like different things. I do believe all three of those could be legitimate grades. See if you were just really angry at the specific booking that you got. That averages out to an 86.6, which rounds up, just barely like literally 0. <laughs> 0.2 rounds up to a B plus the bottom level of a B plus so it's right on that edge of a B plus or a B and I think that's a an appropriate and fair grade from the listeners it was a show that had it was a roller coaster really is what it was it was up and down up and down yeah I really just believe if they had given us that Balor title change the rest of the show would have been received a lot better. I mean, it wouldn't have fixed the main event by any means. But but it would have done a lot for fans to say, hey, we're giving you a big world title change in addition to the women, but we're giving you a big world title change on the show.
1: See, I have a different thought. I, I think if the main event had been just a lot better, had it been what the level of which Roman Reigns' main event matches have been, mm-hmm. then this is easy A-. minus easy in the a-range type of show to, to, to me, like people, I, like I'm upset about the Finn thing, but it didn't take away my enjoyment of the show at all. The main event did like the, 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 the Finn part, like I'm, so it, it kind of goes back to this. A lot of times there's a debate among sports fans. We don't need to get into the whole thing, but would you in a big game, would you rather get blown out mm-hmm. or would you rather lose in heartbreaking fashion? You know, and, and some people I talk to say blowout. I just want to I just want to be numb from it. I don't want to have to to ever think about that again. I've always been on the side of I'd rather lose in a heartbreaking way, because in when that happens, there's usually a lot of high moments, good moments to remember. When I think about this Finn match, this Finn Seth match, I don't think Ugh, Finn didn't win I'm mad. I think, oh my god. God, they had me hook like line and sinker on two of the most Mm -hmm. incredible false finishes I've ever seen in person. Like literally hands on top of my head when there were some of those kickouts that I couldn't believe. And I love that feeling. And my love of that feeling overtakes my sadness that Finn Balor didn't win. Right. It's the main event in the debt dragging out and it being completely unmemorable Mm -hmm. is what drags down the show for me, not the fifth part.
0: Uh, it's very difficult to make this comparison, but that main event was very similar. Uh, what WrestleMania was it? Was it 34 in New Orleans? What number was that? Brock Lesnar. 34 in New Orleans. Yep. It, it's, it's kind of similar to that. I mean, there wasn't interference in that match, but it was the same way in that you, you kind of went in thinking, you know, this probably won't be great. Like, I didn't think Roman Reigns, Jey Uso was going to be great, but I thought it would be smart. And instead it was stupid. And that's what I felt about WrestleMania 34. I didn't, I didn't think that was going to be a great match, but I thought they would do a really good job in having Reigns beat Lesnar. And then they just had Lesnar beat Reigns. And it was just like that was stupid. And the fans obviously it's, revolted it's against that. different time. It's many years later, five years later, obviously. We're in a totally different spot in WWE. But I just kind of look at this where it's like, even if Solo interfered the whole match, if they had done the Samoan weapons and the the tribal paint and, you know, some other extra elements. Then I would have said, hey, you know what? They tried, but it didn't really work. Or they didn't do any of that stuff, but Solo didn't interfere or wasn't involved at all. And they only did Jimmy at the very end. And it was a swerve. And it was just that. That was the only reason that Roman beat Jay. Then I would say, oh, you know what? Like, at least we got a really good match. Or maybe if it wasn't 37 minutes and they never went into the crowd. Like, it was just the compilation of all these things that didn't work coming together that really frustrated me, but we've talked about it. You know, we, we've we we've gone on long with this show, Chris. Uh, I think our grades are fair. Um, we're pretty much all together in the same average. Uh, you and I were obviously exactly the same. I, I Number one coming out of the show, this is how I'll end my take, okay? I think people are massively underrating Rollins and Balor. I don't know why. Maybe just being upset that Finn didn't win. I'm upset Finn didn't win, trust me. I am not happy about it but I feel like they are underrating that match. That was a fantastic match.
1: Yeah. It, my final takeaway, um, being at the show, had a lot of fun, had a memory with my dad and my brother that, that I'll always have. Um, uh, we, we, we got to go down to the floor at the end for the main event. Cause we went into the press conference afterward. Um, I, I wasn't even planning to, be a part of the press conference, but I was there and and you were like, hey, you should try to ask this. I was like, yeah, I should. And so Mm -hmm. I got the last question and haven't watched it back on YouTube yet. I still need to go do that, but just an overall really fun time. Disappointed by the end, Mm -hmm. like you said, thought it could have been more. But some 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 high highs, some very low lows. Um, it, It was this felt a lot different than most of the WWE shows. We've gotten under Triple H, especially the big ones. Um, definitely so ultimately very much a mixed bag but but i had a lot of fun glad to do it i was hoping to meet up with some listeners there at the show beforehand i think we just kind of crossed some wires didn't quite make that happen would love to do that again sometime in the future and yeah now it's officially on the wwe youtube wwe youtube the getting over wrestling podcast has been
0: forget that we're on on peacock dog forget forget youtube we're on peacock so yeah, we're officially oh, on there. On Peac- oh yeah, yeah. I, I've watched all of them on Peacock, so yeah, we're on there. You're on there. You got you did we, get a couple. We are of,
1: official. Yeah, yeah,
0: you you yeah, did you did get a couple official of shots. Wrestling on there. media now. Yeah, we are. Um, I'll also say this really quick before on the way out. I did see some people. A worst PLE of 2023, maybe. But if that's the case, it speaks to the quality of the PLES in 2023 and before.
1: Yes, I I think they hoped that J- Jimmy returning was going to be another, uh, the Usos turn on Roman, Sammy turns on Roman type of thing that we've gotten this year at those big moments at the end. And it just, it wasn't that. So
0: yeah, you mean probably, they, as in WWE, you think WWE, triple H, Paul, um, uh, Heyman, yes. Roman Reigns thought, Hey, this is going to be one of those huge end of match moments. And it just didn't deliver the way they thought.
1: Right. I think we've given every show this year. A or A minus. So uh, like,
0: I feel like we've given guess, a B plus somewhere. We we had to have given a B plus somewhere.
1: I don't I don't have the list of them in front of me. I'm trying to think, but we
0: really should keep a tally. I don't
1: know. If yeah. Backlash was United Champions, probably not. I don't know, but maybe. But like you said, every every show's been quite good to very good. Yeah, I mean, you know? it, it's still a like remarkable difference from the Ventero.
0: Even if you thought this was a B, I mean, that's still like it's. It's still a B. It's it's not just a passing grade. It's it's a good grade. You know what I mean? So uh there was plenty of good on this show, but no, it did not live up to our expectations. Again, you were an A, I was an A- and the listeners were an A-. minus. So across the board, it did not live up to our expectations. That is disappointing. We'll see what happens Monday on Raw. And of course, we will break all of that down for you this coming Tuesday here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast when we talk SummerSlam, Fallout, of course, the Raw, after SummerSlam, and some other big topics in the world of WWE, you are not going to want to miss that. As we wrap up today's show, first a reminder to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That way you can vote in those polls that we were just talking about, pre- and postal polls around premium live events and pay-per-views. You also get episode drops, news analysis, and highlights all on Twitter at overcast. Overcast. It is also important to remember that this podcast is all about the five. So remember to leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review on Apple. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. We would also love if you remembered. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you guys do as well, because if so, you can visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over for five bucks a month or 50 bucks for the year. You can become an official getting overhead. You get bonus audio, news posts, and you can support the show. And even if you don't want to subscribe, you can gift us a meat or a beer or a coffee, whatever, five bucks a pop just to say thank you. You get the tip, the Silver King Vintage and getting over Thank you all for listening to this instant analysis edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back this coming week with our WWE show on Tuesday and of course our NXT and AEW show on Thursday. For Vintage Chris Fanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.